Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter number 3. I have uh, preached from this passage of Scripture here several years ago, I think down in the old building. The original building, perhaps I should call it. Uh, But I've struggled with what to do this morning, and I think this is where I should be. So let's look at it. I want to talk about uh, the Lord Jesus as he dealt with Nicodemus. Excuse me, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for another opportunity to preach the Word of God. And I pray that you will bless me to do it. Uh, Again, Father, I desire to preach the Word in power and in demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And so I pray that you will use me. I don't want to say anything in the flesh or preach in the flesh. Lord, deliver me. May it be in the Spirit. And I pray that you'll use your word to challenge hearts and to meet needs. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in John chapter number 3 and uh, verse number 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. excuse me, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, now hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God." Now, in verse number 1, it says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. 
the Pharisees were a sect that uh, that uh, observed the external forms of religion and uh, considered themselves eminently more righteous than all other people, including the Jews. In other words, they were generally hypocrites. They thought very highly of themselves, and they disdained others. Now, that's just the opposite of what the Bible teaches were to be and to do. They thought very highly of themselves, and they disdained others. Their attitude is probably best illustrated in Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the publican in Luke 18. He said there in verse number 19, two men went up into the temple to pray. You remember that parable. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican, Jesus said. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Well, you can hear the hypocrisy there, can't you? The Pharisee in Luke 18 was typical of Pharisees in general. They felt superior to others, esteeming themselves better than others. Just the opposite, I said, of what the Bible teaches that we're to do and to be. Well, Nicodemus was numbered among these men. He was a Pharisee, the Bible tells us. So Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was a great council of the nation Israel. The Sanhedrin was the supreme court of uh, ancient Israel, and it was made up of 71 members, among whom were chief priests, elders, scribes, lawyers, and others learned in Jewish law. Nicodemus was an aristocratic, well-intentioned, but a spiritually unenlightened man. As he approaches the Lord Jesus in this passage, he is lost. Imagine that. He's a Jew, uh, one of God's chosen, He's a religious leader among the people of God. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. But at this point in his life, he's atheos. He's without God. No God in his life. A religious leader of the people. A religious leader of the people of God, but without God himself. He had a form of godliness, like many of these so-called ministers today in churches all around the country. A form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. A form of godliness, but not a saved man. Paul in 2 Timothy 3 warns us to turn away from those who have a form of godliness, but who deny the power thereof. Now, the word form there speaks of a semblance, a token appearance, uh, a token appearance of the real thing. So we're warned to turn away from people, from those men who have a semblance, a token uh, appearance, of godliness, but are not godly. They don't know God. By their words, they profess godliness, but by their works, they deny God. Now, the word denying in 2 Timothy 3, 5 speaks of not accepting or not receiving, and that makes me think of John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. They have never received Christ and knowing nothing. I'm talking about those who have a semblance of godliness, but who deny the power thereof. They have never received Christ and knowing nothing of the power of God to save. 
they deny the power of God in general. Now, verse number 2, Jesus says, well, the scripture says, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. So he addresses the Lord Jesus as Rabbi. This would be a title of respect. It was a title assumed by the Jewish doctors. It was not a title conferred by any authority, such as uh, some titles are today, maybe the title of doctor you'd think of, and it's conferred by uh, some authority, a university or a college somewhere. So it was not a title conferred by any authority, but assumed or allowed learned men by courtesy. So Nicodemus has a good deal of respect for the Lord Jesus, but he's not fully aware of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He does not see him as the Messiah of Israel at that point, at this point. He does not know him to be the Son of God. But he says, For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And here we find the great purpose for which the Lord Jesus performed miracles is fulfilled. The miracles were intended to declare that God the Father sent him and was with him, and they were intended to bring glory to the Father. I'm talking about the miracles that Jesus performed. They were meant to bring glory to the Father. Now, over in John chapter number 11, we mentioned these verses uh, the other night, the raising of Lazarus. In John chapter number 11, and... uh, Let's start at uh, verse number 41. It says, Then they took away the stone. So the Lord Jesus has made his way to Bethany. He is standing uh, at the tomb of Lazarus. And uh, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And it says in verse 41, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. See it there? That they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Wow. Now, there are some things which we need to understand here before I move on. Number one, and I touched on some of this the other night, but number one, others, namely Elijah and Elisha, had people raised from the dead during their ministries in the Old Testament. But they having uh, no power or authority of their own to raise the dead, petitioned God to do it, and God did it. They petitioned God, and God did it. Number two, Jesus, as God the Son, had the power to give life to whom he would, and so he can command Lazarus to come forth from the dead, and he does. Now, somebody said that Elijah and Elisha raised the dead by entreaty. I mentioned that the other night. But Jesus did it by authority. Jesus is speaking to the Jews in John 5, 21, who were upset with him for healing a man on the Sabbath day. Imagine that. And he says to them, 
For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Now his claim is quite simply to have that authority and power which belongs exclusively to God Almighty. Hence it is a claim to be equal, a claim by the Lord Jesus Christ to be equal with the Father. In other words, Jesus has all the attributes of divinity. He is God. He is equal with the Father. Number three, Jesus prayed and gave thanks prior to this miracle so that those who stood by and observed it might believe that God the Father had sent him and might glorify the Father. So Jesus never performed a miracle simply to display his power and bring glory to himself. His miracles declared that God the Father sent him and was with him and they were used to cause men to stop and pay attention to what he had to say, that is, to pay attention to the truth. Now in verse number 3 we read, And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I, I just can't help but think back every time I mention this matter of being born again or read verses like this when I'm when I'm preaching, I can't help but think back on the time when I first heard a man tell me that I needed to be born again. He was preaching in little church, in little farm community in Pennsylvania, northeastern Pennsylvania, dairy country. And there I was sitting in that service that day, and I never saw anything like it in my life. I mean, I never saw anything like it in my life. This is, this is a liberal church that I was in, a federated church, they call it. This guy was a so-called Baptist, but he was different from us. He was a new evangelical. He believed that he could go into these liberal churches and infiltrate them, but God tells us in the Bible to separate from them, not to go into them. So he was there as our pastor. And he got up in the pulpit, and he'd walk back and forth across the platform, and he'd preach. He wore a black robe with a white collar, and he'd, and he'd preach, and that black robe would fly Dracula or something when he was preaching. And I just sat back there with my eyes that big, but boy, could he preach. And I remember him preaching on the cross one day, and he's crying out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? That church had never heard anything like that. I mean, they'd never heard anything but uh, the Pamby preachers I was talking about last night, giving her little messages from headquarters. And I heard him preach, he must be born again. And the folk hated the message. They eventually ran him out of town. But before they did, he led me to the Lord, praise God. He led me to the Lord. I haven't seen him in 50 years. It'll be this May. We left town. He married Kathy and me. He led me to the Lord before he married us. We got married. We left town, went off to the other side of the state. They ran him out of town. Last I heard, he's in Texas, someplace in Texas. He's retired. He lives there. And we're probably going through North Texas this spring on our way back home. And I thought, man, it would be tremendous to... I mean, he, he was... He was not what we are, but I'd like to thank him. I'd like to knock on his door. He'd be an old man now. And 
I'd like to say thank you for sitting me down and opening up the Bible and sharing the gospel with me so I could be saved. I don't know if that would be possible this spring or not, but I've thought on it a lot. Well, Jesus said here in verse number 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The words verily, verily are amen, amen. And they properly signify true. It would be the same as saying amen, amen, or truth, truth, or, uh, you know, more literally, it would be like saying, uh, that's the truth. I agree with that. You know, when somebody here says, somebody did just a little while ago, said amen. That's the same as saying, that's the truth, and I agree with that. Every time you say amen. That's right, it's good enough too. Amen. I say that a lot. <laughs> uh, when, when John records in the Revelation that Jesus is the amen, the faithful and true witness, it means that Jesus is the truth, the faithful and true witness. And what does the faithful and true witness say? Think about that. Jesus is the truth. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and life, didn't he? And he's the faithful and true witness. What does the amen, the truth, the faithful and true witness say? He says here, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he says later, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, or born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's what the faithful and true witness said. That's what the truth, the Lord Jesus Christ, the amen, said. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now he preached that, and they hated him, and they called him old born again. They ran him out of town. And I've had many people through the years that I've talked to them about being born again, and oh, you know, roll the eyeballs and shake their heads or whatever. I've had people sit there who come in to visit in church and sit there and you... You, you preach on being born again and they'll shake their heads and wish they never had to be a part of the rest of the service and they'll look and smirk and all kinds of things. But that's what the amen said. The faithful and true witness. That's what God said. God the Son said it. He who has all the attributes of divinity, he who is equal with God the Father, Jesus Christ said, except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Now I want you to notice a few things this morning. That the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to Nicodemus, taught Nicodemus. Number one, the necessity of regeneration for all men everywhere. You see, when he said, except a man be born again, uh, a man, generic, any man, every man. It's not some particular man. It's any man. It's every man. It's any man in the world, throughout this wide world, whoever he may be, wherever he may be, except to be born again. I don't care if he's over in the Congo or if he's up the, uh, 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 the uh, uh, Amazon down in Brazil. Well, they've never heard the gospel. 
There are some tribes like that. I'm saying that Jesus said that except a man be born again, no matter who he is or where he is in all the world, except he be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. We, uh, they, they had the funeral of what they call the America's, America's pastor the other day. And it's it's too it's too bad. Uh, I I think that years ago, probably in the middle fifties, nineteen fifties, that as I lay on the floor with my chin in my hands, my elbows on the floor, watching that TV Dad bought, black and white, with a round tube and watch that man preach the gospel I think that's when I was first stirred oh I didn't follow him through his career because we Baptists go in a different direction than that but uh I did read an interview that he gave some years ago, later on in life, but it was probably 20 years ago, to a magazine put out in the United States, a national magazine that goes around the world. And uh, I read a quote by him. They were interviewing him. And the interviewer asked if he believed that uh, those who had never heard the gospel I forget how the question was put, but those who had never heard the gospel in dark regions of the world, if they would go to hell, if they never heard. You know what he said? And this is a quote. If I can find it. He said that he believed that pagans in far off countries, they asked him if he believed that pagans in far off countries were lost, were going to hell, if they did not have the gospel of Jesus Christ preached to them. And he said that he didn't believe that anymore. He said he didn't believe that anymore. That if they didn't hear the gospel, they'd go to hell. Now wait a second. That guy's dead wrong. Jesus said, Jesus said, the one he claimed to represent, Jesus. God the Son said, except a man be born again, any man. Every man, whoever he may be, wherever he may be, except he be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What did he mean, what did Jesus mean when he stated that men cannot see the kingdom of God apart from the new birth? He was speaking of man's incapability to understand spiritual things without the life and presence of the Holy Spirit. You see, spiritual things are discerned by spiritual people. People in whom dwell the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, man is not capable of understanding these things apart from the presence of the Holy Spirit. A man needs to be saved. He cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It's just that simple. Now what does it mean to be born again? Well, let's consider, first of all, the word again, born again. 
The word translated again is also translated from above five times in your Bible. The whole idea is that of a new birth or a birth from above, a birth from heaven, a second birth by which God gives to a person eternal life, spiritual life. It is a spiritual birth. It means to be born anew through faith in Christ and his redemptive work on the cross of Calvary. Now the Holy Spirit is the agent of this new birth. This, this birth is the result of the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit of God. Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing and regeneration, washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. When I was born again, here's what happened. The word of God was preached to me and the Holy Spirit brought conviction to bear upon my heart. I was under conviction. I realized that I was lost and in need of being saved. Then in time, the gospel of Jesus Christ was given to me by that man in his study as he opened the Bible and shared the gospel with me. And I heard how that Christ had died for my sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And the Holy Spirit pointed me to the Lord Jesus Christ. Through that man as he preached the gospel to me. And I was told then that as many as received him, Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, and I received him. I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. The Holy Spirit of God opened my heart as he did the heart of Lydia in Acts chapter number 16, and I put my faith in Jesus. I exercised repentance toward God and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and was born anew. And at that moment, I experienced a supernatural change in my soul wrought by the eternal power of God Almighty as he made me a new creation in Christ. A new creation. Paul said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 I was, prior to being born again, a child of Satan. So that's terrible. Well, so were you. If you've been saved, you were, before you were saved, a child of Satan. I was a slave to sin, but now I'm free from sin. I was a rebel at enmity in my heart against God, but now I love God above all else, more than anything else, more than anyone else, because he saved me by his grace. I was, prior to being saved, living for myself, but now I live for God. I put everything on the altar. It's all his. I live for God. I was a hell-bound sinner, but now I'm a heaven-bound saint. Heaven-bound. I was dead in trespasses and sins, but now I'm alive in Jesus Christ. This idea of a man being born again means that he has become partaker of the divine nature. 2 Peter 1.4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye may be made partakers of the divine nature. Now secondly, I want you to observe that Jesus 
taught Nicodemus, the way to eternal life is through faith in Christ and his redemptive work on the cross. How are men born again? The simple answer is by being fully persuaded that Jesus is who the Bible claims that he is and being confident of that by committing oneself to him, fully trusting him for salvation. This is essentially what we mean when we say that we have received Christ or that we have trusted Christ as our personal Savior. However, there are some things important to understand. First of all, no man will be born again apart from the convincing work of the Holy Spirit as he uses the word of God when it's preached. It's by the foolishness of preaching that men are saved. And it's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. The word of God must be involved. Psalm 119.50 says, This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. It's the word of God that gave me life. James 1.18 says, Of his own will beget he us with the word of truth, begotten by the word of God. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Being born again, how? By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So the Holy Spirit opens a person's heart to receive the word, and then by means of the word of God, we are ultimately quickened, made to live, given life, or born again, given spiritual life. Secondly, no man will ever be born again who is not convinced of his sin and experiences contrition, repentance, and faith. I experience contrition. This is all people do who get saved. This is remorse. It's regret for wrongdoing, regret for sin. Secondly, I experience repentance. Now, repentance involves contrition, but it's more than that. To repent is to change one's mind. It is a conversion from sin to God. And this type of repentance always involves, listen to this, it always involves a change of life or an amendment of life for the better. It always involves that. In other words, I'm saying to you that a person cannot uh, tell you that they have been saved, and how long you've been saved, been saved 10 years, and there's no change in their lives. True Bible repentance always involves a change in the life, and it's a change for the better. As a man's going one direction, he's walking in darkness, he's walking in sin, he's walking with the world, he's walking against God. But the gospel's preached to him, and he turns to God. And he begins to walk the other direction. Now he's walking the narrow way. Now he's walking in the light. Now he's walking in fellowship with Christ. Now he's walking against the world. Not with the world. And that's repentance. Then thirdly, I responded in faith. Paul said in Acts 20.21 that he testified both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The idea is that he earnestly taught wherever he went and to whomever he preached the necessity of exercising repentance toward God and the necessity of placing one's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Well, let's move on to number three. He taught Nicodemus the infinite love of God. 
towards the world. See verse number 16? That's the first verse I ever memorized. My mother-in-law died one last fall, honey. It was during the fall. She lived with us, you know, the last couple of years of her life. She was 99 years old, almost made it to 100. And my wife was taking care of her mother. It was her mother who, back when that guy led me to the Lord, gave me a King James Bible. And I found that John 3.16. And I was just 19 years old. And I memorized it. And I remember standing in their kitchen like a little kid, and I said, listen to this, Mom. Just like my little grandchildren stand before me, I said, listen to this, Mom. For God so loved the world that he gave. And I quoted that verse to her that I'd memorized. This expresses the infinite love of God toward the world, and Jesus taught this to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world. Think about that, the world. That's the human family, all of mankind. And the amazing thing, you see, I say think about it. The amazing thing when you think about it is this, that it is a reference to an ungodly, unlawful, ungovernable, rebellious race of people which has continually resisted God and been at enmity against him. And yet God so loved them. The same race that put his son on the cross of Calvary. Spit in his face, scourged him, beat him. Nailed him to a cross. It's the same race, and yet God so loved the world. So. Somebody said that there's an eternity in that little word, so. I know you told you this before, but i got to tell you again. Some of you were at the dinner last night, and you saw the uh, presentations by the missionaries. And there was a presentation by Chris Teal. And there Chris stood holding little Phoebe, the baby, and his other children here at his side. And here stood Angela. You remember seeing Angela? A a beautiful young woman with a young family. She got saved in the church we started in Brunswick, Maine. Chris got saved there and baptized there. Fruit that abounds to your account. And one day on a Father's Day, Angela said to me in the back of our church, she looked me in the eyes. And she said, Pastor Mitchell, looking me right in the eyes, and not some quick, but just sincere, she said, Pastor Mitchell, I love you so much. So much. Can you imagine? You what? I mean, how many people tell you, I love you? Or, you know, love you, brother. I love you in the Lord. But she looked me in the eyes and she said, Pastor Mitchell, I love you so much. For God so loved the world. That, that, that gives us, you know, to this degree, Not just that he loved the world, but to this degree. I mean, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son.
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So he taught Nicodemus the infinite love of God towards the world, and then last, he taught him that the unbeliever is under condemnation. Look at verse number 18. Jesus said, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Judged, condemned, already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This means that the man who has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, the man who has not saved, been saved, has not been born again, means that if he dies in that state of impenitence and unbelief, he will go to hell and eventually suffer everlasting destruction from the presence of God in a lake of fire. It's absolutely certain. Well, here's my conclusion. Let's go back to the beginning. The Pharisee named Nicodemus approaches the Lord Jesus, and the Lord teaches him some great Bible truths. He teaches him the necessity of regeneration for all men everywhere. He teaches him the way of eternal life is through faith in him and his redemptive work on the cross. He teaches him, number three, the infinite love of God towards the world. And he teaches him, number four, that the unbeliever is under condemnation. Now, the point I want to make is this. These truths which Jesus taught to Nicodemus are the same truths which we are commissioned by our Lord to teach all nations. These things need to be taught to all nations as we carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. He said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, follow my logic. If the unbeliever is under condemnation, and he is, and if he will go to hell if he dies in his sin, in his sins, unrepentant, and he will, and if he must exercise repentance toward God and put his faith in Christ in order to be saved from his sins, and he must, it's all here in this passage of scripture, and if faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and it does, the Bible says so, then we must go and preach the gospel. To all these people, we must send the missionaries to them. We must get the missionaries to the regions beyond us as well as do our work here at home that all may hear the message of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ because God loves them, but they're already condemned unless they repent and turn to Christ when they hear the gospel, we've got to get the gospel to them.